phrase Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim we repeat so often it occurs at the beginning of every surah in Quran and very often Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referred to in Quran as ar-Rahman ar-Rahim these two words ar-Rahman ar-Rahim have been translated into English as the merciful and the compassionate We've explored this idea here as the idea of the two mercies. The mercy of what is granted and the mercy of what is withheld. We've said that for you to be alive, there are two things that have to happen simultaneously. And both of these things are beyond your own ability to manage. First of all, you have to be granted everything that becomes the wherewithal for you to be alive. <clears throat> from all the things that have happened from before endless time that have been woven together to make your being possible now, to the ongoing taking in of food and breathing in of oxygen and breathing out of carbon dioxide, all of that is given to you on an ongoing basis. You're only alive because you're being granted your life by an ingenuity, by a genius that is bigger than yours on an ongoing basis. So in the first instance, you're alive because of what is given. 
In the second instance, you're alive because of what is withheld. <coughs> We've said that if you consider all of the things that could conceivably kill you in any given moment, you could be taken out by anything from a microbe to, to a star crashing into the earth and anything in between. So the question is, well, why on earth are you alive? Because the odds of catastrophic annihilation beat the odds of going on in any given moment. Well, you can only be alive because all of these potential catastrophes are withheld. You're always alive on the basis of two mercies. The mercy of what is granted and the mercy of what is withheld. And this is how we've explored this idea of ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I'd like to take the opportunity this evening to look a little bit deeper into why this might be a useful way of looking at the phrase Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. <clears throat> Both words, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, come from a root word in Arabic which means womb, like the mother's womb. This is quite an extraordinary idea because it suggests um, a fundamental purpose, intent of nurturing to all existence. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nurtures us like a mother nurtures a child. One of the interpretations of Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim is that you can see Ar-Rahman as, as sort of a general principle. And Ar-Rahim is a specific thing. Now, if you think about this idea of what is granted and what's withheld, the general principle is, if you like, that which encloses. So if we say that these words are coming from the word womb, then the first thing that the mother's womb does is it creates a space, an enclosure. It provides boundaries. It provides limits. It withholds the outside world from the fetus. So, so it, 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 is, it is like a, a general sense of enclosure. But then there's also a very specific granting or giving which engages the child through a very specific place, which is through the umbilical cord. Very particular for this child. This umbilical cord provides this child with its nourishment from the mother. So you could say that the, this, the, 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 the boundary of the womb, the uterus, the wall of the womb is like Ar-Rahman and the umbilical cord is like Ar-Rahim. And <coughs> That helps us then to understand how, how, why it is so important to consistently remind ourselves of this <clears throat> by repeating this phrase so often. I mean, properly speaking, you should be repeating the phrase at the commencement of anything. You go or walk out your door, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. You know, starting a meal, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. You, know, you keep on reminding yourself of this because this is 
brings you back to the core root reality. You're always surrounded by that which encapsulates you, like the mother's womb. The Mongols used to speak about Father Sky, like the dome of existence is like this, 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 this covering which creates the space for you to be, which sets the limits. And then there's also your, very, your own personal, very specific engagement with the world, which for most, for human beings at least, this is very much associated with our face. Because most of your sustenance comes through your face. You breathe through your nose, you eat through your mouth. Maybe you can say, oh, you get vitamin D through your skin, but that's a very small microcosm, a, a sort of a subset of what you require. So your, your engagement with life is like, like that. The, the fetus has an, has an umbilical cord attached to its navel. You have like an umbilical cord of sustenance attached to your face. Where what keeps you alive comes in, and what makes it possible to stay alive goes out on an ongoing basis. So this principle of that which is granted and that which is withheld, the providing of the space for you to be, like the womb, and the providing of the particular sustenance, substance that you need to be, this is constantly celebrated by Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. As human beings, we know this. The genius of the deen is that it is deen of fitra. It is deen of our natural human intuitive understanding. Because this is our requirement of all super, superordinate authority. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like the, the first authority. And what, what we recognize about that principle of of, of, of lordliness, of rububiya, of authority, is that it, first of all, it nurtures. It is like a womb. Secondly, it grants. And thirdly, it withholds. withholds. And both the granting and withholding is in the interest of the fetus. It's in the interest of the individual. It is your, in your interest. So what does this mean when you are in the position to be metaphorically Rab? When you are the custodial one, the one in charge? You know, the intriguing thing about the work that we do professionally is that we work with leaders and we work with the issue of leadership. If I asked you now, to write down the qualities of a boss that you would work for because you would really want to. And we collected everything that was said in the room. I can guarantee you, we've demonstrated this thousands of times over the last 40 years. There will always be two themes in that list. First of all, you say, I want to work for a boss who listens to me, who cares for me, who um, uh, provides me what I need in order to achieve, to do my job, who, who is approachable, all things that you would, you would associate with nurturing, all things that you would associate with, with, with generosity, with giving, like that which is given. 
But then people will also say, I'd like to work for a boss who's honest. I'd like to work for a boss who's fair. I'd like to work for a boss who, um, who, who can hold me accountable. If you say to people, but you understand, if you work for a boss who's always honest, they're not always going to be nice. Sometimes they'll say things to you that you might find upsetting. People say, yes, but I mean, how am I going to learn? How am I going to grow? If those boundaries don't get set for me. So when people look at a boss, they want the boss. I mean, this is in our current world, in our current social conditions. When people look at a boss, when they look at any authority, their requirement of authority is ar-Rahman, ar-Rahim. Be the one who grants and be the one who withholds in my interest. Be the one who provides me and be the one who provide, also imposes the boundary, like the womb, the control, in my interest. What is interesting when we first try to account for the, the reason of the universality of these themes of care and growth, when you ask people who's the boss you want to work for because you want to, <clears throat> people would basically, uh, you say, well, well, well you know, if, if we examine this idea of working for somebody because you want to, if you worked for somebody because you wanted to and that person asked you to do something, you would do it, which kind of means that you give that person the right to ask you to do things or to exercise power over you. Which means to say that these criteria of care and growth are the universal criteria for legitimate power. The right to be in charge of people. And you say, well, why should that be the case? Well, the first relationship, the very first relationship that you had of power that you had with any other human being in your life is with your parents. Probably specifically with your mother, but generally with your parents. And in that relationship, basically there are two people. There's the one who is the subordinate one, the little one. And then there's the one who's the big one. There's the one who takes care and the one who is taken care of. The job of the big one for the little one is very specific. First of all, the mother provides food. The, mo the mother provides uh, 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 water, etc. Et the mother g g g gives what the child needs care. And secondly, the mother withholds, the mother disciplines, the mother chides, in, in, what, in, in the child's interest, obviously, so that the child can grow, care and grow. These, these requirements of rububia, we cannot get out of. They are woven into our day-to-day -day existence. They are part of the fabric of how existence works. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. So, when you keep on reminding yourself, by repeating, when, at every opportunity you can, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, you're reminding yourself also, not just of your status, the one to whom unconditionally is granted, and the one from whom unconditionally is withheld in your interest, for one on whom unconditionally boundaries get imposed in your interest, but it also is a lesson for that which you are, is in your charge. Every adult alive has somebody in their charge, has somebody who, is, who, is, who, who you are custodian for, you the boss of, the big one for. 
It might just be a single child, but you all, we all are in charge of something. That, that being in charge of that has two responsibilities. To be the one who gives and to be the one who withholds. In the interest of the one who you're doing this for. Not in your own interest. And the most important thing to bear this in mind is that that intention is a nurturing intent. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim is a nurturing intent. It's a nurturing purpose. Which means, <coughs> particularly as parents, you're not required to turn your children into little mini-youths. You're required to create the spaces that, that child can become itself. We've mentioned this before, that this, this long-dead Capetonian philosopher, uh, Martin Fasfeld, said, the principle of, of good, Allah says to creatures, go out and be yourself. He grants you your existence. The principle of evil says to creatures, come here and be me. I want to consume you. When you have that which is in your charge, make sure that you are, you are acting consistently with the decree. You're acting consistently with the, the divine requirement to allow that which is in your charge to go out and be itself. Rather than to be the one who dominates and oppresses. Because we know from Quran, there's nothing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates more than oppression. Tumult and oppression. May Allah grant us nearness to him. Amen. May Allah grant us annihilation in him. Amen. May Allah grant us death before we die. In Allah, O Thank <laughs> you.